well, tis the season to be gluten-free. I didn't even know we were doing that. That's terrific. So uh, we need some keto edition uh, communion back there. I'm not even sure if that's possible. I think it's just ground-up almonds. I'm not even sure. But uh, man, it is, it is the, Christ- the Christmas season, and uh, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. We're starting to, to get gifts. I don't know um, if you know about love languages, but one of the love languages, you feel most loved when you receive a gift. And if you feel most loved when you receive a gift, you probably feel like you are able to love someone so much better when you give a gift. And the gifts are starting to come in um, this morning. Um, just to show how much I've grown in Jesus. Somebody gave me a, uh, a handkerchief for a suit pocket um, with the Philadelphia Eagles logo on it. Um, and that just, I, I feel the love. And that's how I know I'm saved. Um, and I won't use it as a burnt offering later. But, um, you know, here we are, God's people, so diverse. Um, something really cool happened yesterday. We have uh, an incredible person in this church, um, call my wife or text her and say, hey, you're going to be around the house around noon. Uh, I want to stop something by. And so um, as a pastor, as a family ministry, you never know what that's going to be, whether if it's like, hey, uh, I got a gift for you, or hey, will you do my friend's funeral? You just never know. And so uh, this, this one particular instance was good. She, uh, she had a gift, and this gift wasn't for me. And I think as you become an adult and you start to have kids, the best gifts that you can receive aren't for yourself. They're for people that you love dearly. And so this gift was for our girls. And this gift was handmade. And when I say it was handmade, like, man, love went into this gift. This gift was thought through. Every aspect of this gift was put together. And it wasn't just put together to open up and play with and forget about. Like, it was, it was put together for us to experience as a family uh, time with each other. It was put together for us to uh, experience um, our bellies being filled with incredible sugar cookies that our girls got to decorate. It was put together with thoughtfulness. It was put together with care. And all of that was out of the goodness and out of the love that this person had. And so uh, if that person is here today, I just want to say thank you. But also I want to say that uh, um, I didn't actually get to have any of those cookies that my girls decorated, but they had an absolute blast. Every bit of that was done out of love, and that's exactly where we are going to land today. We've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, and today we talk about love, and love is really, I feel like, a foundation of hope and of peace. And so our first point today, we are diving right in, is that love was gifted to us in the person of Jesus. Love was gifted to us in the person of Jesus. What we see, once again, as we continue to work through this, as we continue to slow down to really focus on the importance of this season, and that is the birth of Jesus, is that that person, that gift of love in Jesus, that person came as a child. And in Jesus coming as a child, it is God choosing to enter into our struggle, into our mess, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What did Jesus do? 
He didn't say, shoo-wee, that's stinky, I don't like their sin, I'm going to stay away from them. Jesus did not distance himself from our mess, but he entered into our mess. He chose to relate to us as one of us, and as the best of us, he lowered himself beneath all of us to take care of the sin and the death and the enemy's influence over us. But he didn't just come as a child, that person came as God's son, and we're hitting the same scripture again, again to bring our focus back on Jesus. We're so distracted from everything around us that is offering us false hope, false peace, false love this time of season. We need to focus and hone in on what it really is, who it really comes from, and that is the person of Jesus. That person came as God's son. John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, God in his love did not stay separate from our mess, but he dove into our mess heart first. He dove into our mess through his son. And what we see here in Jesus diving into our mess, coming into our world as a baby, is that love is not just sentimental. Love doesn't just sit back and feel. If God just sat back and felt, and that was it, and it was just a sentimental love, then action never would have taken place. But what we see here in God and him so loving the world is that he took action, that there was a plan, that God saw that our sin, which caused our distance and separation from him, we cannot be allowed into his presence. And so there needed to be a way made for us so that we could enter back into God's presence because we were sinful, we weren't holy, we couldn't be in his presence, that meant there had to be a sacrifice. And God and Jesus, he said, hey, I will make that sacrifice. I think a lot of times when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, we just think God said, Jesus, you have to go give your life for these people. But a lot of times we forget that Jesus willingly came, that Jesus willingly gave his life on our behalf and to honor and glorify the Father. So love didn't just sit back and feel. God didn't just say, hey, I feel sorry for you because of my love for you. I'm just gonna let you sit in your mess out there. No, he entered into the picture and he took action. Jesus, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world and condemnation is exactly what we deserve. But God in his love saved us from condemnation. Again, all through the love of his son. Now we are saved. Now we have a gift, but we have a gift in the love of God for salvation through Jesus. And this is a gift that must be open. The substitutionary work of Jesus must be personally accepted. It is not enough for it to be a gift that we have that just sits under the tree and we just look at it every Sunday. It's not enough for it to be a gift that we have that sits under the tree and, and maybe we go and we think about opening it once a month. It's not enough for you to have a gift that sat under the tree and your parents opened it and you experienced the goodness of that gift. And it's not enough for you to be a fan of the holiday season and a fan of Christmas trees and a fan of the gift that's under the tree. It's not enough. It's not enough for you to have lived a good life 
to have made it on the nice list and gotten off the naughty list because we see Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64.6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our, un, our, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So what do we do with this gift that has been presented to us by the love of God that is underneath our tree? We have to take hold of it. We have to grab hold of it. We have to accept it. And we don't just accept it, but we open it. And we try it on. And we see all the places in our life that this gift, this incredible gift, just keeps on giving. And this gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life through the person God the Son, Jesus Christ, is something that is believed in. We are saved by grace through faith. It is something you put your faith in. It is the gift of Jesus, not just being born, not just coming into the world, but everything that that would lead to, a perfect life, a perfect sacrifice, Jesus on the cross, in my place, for my sin. This is the most personal gift of all. And once again, this isn't just a gift that we opened up once and that was the extent of it. Um, I'm trying to think of any gift that I ever opened up and that was just the extent of it. Um, Pogs, do you remember Pogs? Okay, Pogs were these little, um, they were cardboard uh, circles and they had awesome graphics on it and you just try to stack up all the Pogs that you could but you also had a slammer and it was just this plastic or acrylic disc and you just throw it at the stack of Pogs and they'd all fall over and if they were face up you got to keep them and if they were face down you stack those back up and basically it was just a, a big scheme to spend a lot of money on cardboard but we've all fallen for that every holiday season. Um, I never actually played Pogs, I just collected them. That, that was a one-shot gift right there. It was, okay, cool, I got these, what do I do with them now? I don't know, lose them in the closet. But the gift of salvation is not something that we just open up once and it's a get out of hell free card. It's something that applies to so many aspects of our lives. We have to realize that it is there are so many more gifts within that gift. Um, man, if, if I'm thinking personally, a gift that was more than just a gift growing up is I had, a, if you're a fan of the Ninja Turtles, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, um, I got this gift, it was Master Shredder. And this was like, you had to have a master's in engineering to put this thing together, but thank goodness my mom did. She helped put it together. Um, it was Master Shredder, and he would like fight your Ninja Turtles, and he had all the normal weapons that a Master Shredder should have. Um, but then you could transform him. And I'm not talking like Optimus Prime, like this thing was built to transform. It was like they were still trying to figure out how to make plastic bend to where you could transform this thing. But once you transformed him, he transformed into a bulldozer. And I never, you know, now as an adult, I think back on that. I'm like, why did Master Shredder turn into a bulldozer? When you're like six years old, you don't care. Master Shredder is a bulldozer, and we're about to whoop some Ninja Turtle butt, okay? So I had 20 Ninja Turtles and Master Shredder, and he could transform, and he had multiple purposes, and he just kept transforming. As soon as I figured that out, he was a bulldozer, Master Shredder, bulldozer, Master Shredder. He lost every battle still. 20 Ninja Turtles is a lot to take on, but... You know, he figured it out eventually in case you're worried about him. But this gift, this gift of salvation that we have been given is a gift with so many gifts left inside of it. And so we pick it up, 
we put it on, we try it out, we live in it, we apply it to our lives, and we find gifts like being made new. We find gifts like finding family, being invited into the family of God. We find gifts like purpose, and we find a sweet, sweet gift in true life. We also find gifts, especially during the holiday season, things that we're focusing on over the span of this four weeks of Advent that we're in, things like hope, things like peace, things like love, and things like joy. And so to get today, we dive even further into love. And so number two, our question today is, what is love? I'll say it again, number two, <laughs> what is love? Don't hurt me, don't hurt me, no more. Everybody give it up for the AV team today, they're crushing it. <laughs> Love is the greatest gift you can give. Thank you so much, Eric. That's just a dream come true for me right there. It is the greatest gift that you can give. And this is twofold. Really, you could say it's fourfold because we have two different groups here that it is the greatest gift that they could receive. And the first group is it is the greatest gift that God could receive. And it is the greatest gift that others can receive. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, Jesus, which law do I need to make sure I really cross the T on? Jesus, which law do I need to make sure I dot the I on? Which of the commands, uh, uh, which of the commandments is the greatest? Which is the one I really need to know is important so that I can make sure that I follow it? And he said to him in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is, this is really cool here because when Jesus says something like this, um, you can be of the standpoint to think that, well, Jesus just negated 600 plus laws of the old covenant. But really what Jesus is doing is he is wrapping everything up into just these two laws. And we can really particularly see that when we look at the Ten Commandments. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That is holistically with everything we have, a 360 degree aspect of our lives. We are loving God. And what we see in this is that is the first four of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all the love that you possess. Love him. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So we love God first. That is our vertical relationship. And then we love others second, his creation, the people that we spend our lives around. And we see that in commands five through 10, honor your father and your mother. The most important of all, can I get an amen? Okay, okay. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> command six, you shall not murder. Can I get an amen? Okay, that's good. We're all alive, nobody, okay, sweet. Command number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Command number eight, you shall not steal. Command number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And command number 10, you shall not covet. So Jesus wraps it all up in these two commands, love God and love other people. If these are the commands, these are the ones that this lawyer is asking, hey, Jesus, which are the ones that I need to live by? Jesus says this right here. And by saying this, he's actually saying, you just need to keep them all. But hey, 
if this is the point, if we're to love God and we're to love other people, then how are we doing here? How are we doing when it comes to loving God? When it comes to loving God in my life, I need you to know because I think that we have to have an honest, open relationship here. It's not easy. It's something that I have to intentionally make time for in my day. It's the first thing I have to do when I wake up And a lot of times there's pit stops that I need to make along the way throughout the day so that I don't end up yelling at my kids, so that I don't end up misunderstanding my wife and us getting into an argument, so that I can position myself below everyone else around me in humility and continue to love and serve them. Because if I don't stay focused on the Lord, if I don't stay loving him in the study of his word, if I don't stay loving him in communication between me and him throughout the day, through prayer, if I don't stay loving him through worshiping him, not just through singing songs and, and praise music and listening to Caleb or Air One or whatever it is in the van on the way to dropping the kids off to school or picking them up, if I don't have love for my life to Jesus in the way that I'm living my lifestyle, if that is not worshipful, then what happens is I become my own God and I start to worship myself and I elevate myself higher than I actually have the right to be. And so I have to first, first thing in the morning, Jesus, this is my time with you. I need to spend time in your word. I need to spend time talking to you. Jesus, I need your help putting my day together. Jesus, I worship you not just in song, but in the way that I live and the actions that I I have throughout my day. Jesus, I am loving you. God, I am loving you. I am staying obedient to you. I am loving you. That's first. Love God and then love others. And it is once I get this vertical relationship right between me and the Father, then then I can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make sure that I'm loving everyone else around me well. But it's twofold. Love God with everything you have, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That is every aspect of who we are as human beings. So how are we doing there? How have you intentionally loved Jesus this week? And if you are not intentionally loving Jesus, then I would say you need to intentionally make it a point to intentionally love Jesus. It's not something that us in our fallen nature, our flesh is ever just going to accidentally do but it is something that we put effort into. Again, not so that we can be saved. We've already been saved, and we love and worship and stay obedient to the Father because of an appreciation of already having been saved. And then after you love Jesus, how is it that you're loving other people? How is it that you are loving your neighbor? How is it that you're loving the people around you? How is it that you're loving the hardest people to love sometimes, the people in your own home? How is it that you are loving your enemies? And that's where I wish Jesus would have stopped, is just love God, love other people. But he doesn't. He gets a little bit more um, detailed. And so we're not actually doing a flash forward here. We're doing a flash back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus takes it deeper. And Jesus says that this isn't just the greatest gift that you could ever give to God and to other people. This is the greatest gift when we're looking at the other people that you can give to your friends and to your enemies. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil 
and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. As children of the Father, we are called to be like the Father. What do we see when we read Matthew 5, 43 through 45, that he makes it rain on those who are evil, and the sun goes down and up, and they have breath in their lungs, and they don't necessarily, we could say sometimes, we don't necessarily think that they deserve that. He has loved those that don't deserve it. And so as children of the Father, love those that don't deserve it. Why? Because there was a point in your life where you did not deserve it, but you were loved, and you walked into that love, and you accepted that love, and you looked at that love, and you asked that love and the love of Jesus to be your personal Savior on the cross in your place for your sin. And that love changed everything in your life. There was no deserving that love. There was only accepting that love. And so as children of the Father, we love those that don't deserve it. When we look at this, we see that God even blesses those that aren't under his rule. It says that the sun still shines. Again, they still have air to breathe. And we see that we can do the exact same thing in our praying for those that don't deserve it. Why do we pray for those that don't deserve it? Why do we pray for our enemies? I know for myself, and I would be willing to bet for you, actually I would guarantee in some aspect that before you, really we can never deserve it, but before you entered into relationship with Jesus, there was somebody that was praying for you. And so if God blesses those who are not yet under his rule and his reign, we should pray for those around us that they will come to know Jesus, that they will see Jesus in our lives, that they will accept Jesus, and then that they would pray for people that don't know Jesus and it just rinse and repeat over and over and over. We don't just bless those that deserve it because no one ever could. And we weren't blessed because we deserved it because we never could deserve it. But still Jesus gave his life for us. So, what is it? What is it that you have done this week that goes beyond the easiness of just loving those that love you? What is it that you have done this week? What is it that you need to do this week that goes even further and says, I won't just love those that love me, I'll love those that are hard to love? How is it that we can intentionally love our enemies? The next thing we see about love is love is what we should be known for. Love is what you should be known for. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, People would look at Jesus' disciples and how would they know that they were Jesus' disciples? Was it by how much scripture they knew? If they knew the first five books of the Bible? No, certainly not that. We can look at Nicodemus and we can see that he knew that thing inside and out and he still missed Jesus. One of the religious leaders of the Jewish people still missed Jesus regardless of everything that he knew. 
Do we look at people and we say, oh, that's a follower of Jesus because of their health, because of their wealth, because of their happiness? No. In fact, I would say it's most often the anchor of joy within their lives, regardless of how good or how bad things are going. Is it that we look at someone's lives and we see, man, that person must be really blessed by God. They must be a follower of Jesus because of how great their life looks on the outside. Say, no, that's not it either. Because we're promised when we become believers that it's actually only going to get harder until Jesus comes back for, for us. So how are we to identify a true believer? How am I to identify you as a true believer? It is because of your love. It is because of how you love God and how you love other people. So what is it that you are known for? I know growing up, I, I wanted to be known for so many things. I, when I was little, I wanted to be known for um, the first person at daycare that caught all the Pokemon. Um, when I got a little bit older, I wanted to be, I was far more driven at that point, I wanted to be the best artist in our state, and I wanted to be the best offensive lineman, not only on the football team, not only in our district, in our region, but in the state, and I was far from that. I remember getting older and, and going into the workplace, and no matter what job it was, I wanted to be the absolute best. I, I worked at UPS in, a, in a, the third biggest hub in the world, and we had, golly, it was like 73,000 packages a day on a light day, and I thought, you know, I'm going to be the best, and this is how people are going to know that I love Jesus because I work really, really hard. And so I would just sling 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 packages an hour thinking, no, this is going to show them, and, and absolutely did not show them. Now that I find myself as a man with a family, I want to be the best husband that I can be. I want to be the best father that I can be. As I find myself in this role of pastor, I want to be the best pastor that I can be. And these are all things that we can want to be known for. And there are so many things in your life that you can want to be known for, but I have to check myself and say, what good is it if I'm the best Pokemon trainer in this daycare, if I have not love? What good is it if I can throw as many packages and sort them to all these different states in this hub if I don't actually love the person in front of me and behind me? What good is it if I'm a good father, if I'm a good husband, if I'm only loving the people that are in my household because I want to be known as being a good husband and as a good father? What good is it if I am known as a good pastor, but I didn't give it 1,000% of who I was out of love? There's a lot of pastors that can look good on the outside and want to grow their churches numerically, but it's something different entirely to say, no, I'm going to be a good under-shepherd because I have a good shepherd. And so these are the filters that we think through. I want to be this, but Why? Is it out of love? If it's not out of love, it's not worth it. What are some things that you want to be known for? Maybe it's a position at the office. Maybe it's some title. Maybe it's some role in the family dynamic. Maybe you want to be holistic mom. All right, maybe you got like some chickens in the backyard and your kids, because you're a good mom, they're never going to eat actual eggs from the store. They're only going to eat eggs from chickens. Maybe you have a cow in your backyard, and your kids are never going to drink pasteurized milk. All right? They're just going to drink milk straight from that cow. That's just one silly example, okay? But I, I, I've seen it on Instagram, so I know that it's real, okay? 
And I know you're on Instagram too, so maybe that's come across your feed. Maybe it's your stage of life. Maybe you've worked so hard your entire career that now you just want to take off. Man, I am a retiree. Man, I am going to hashtag be retired, hashtag jet set, hashtag well-traveled, and this is, this is what I want to be known for. Or maybe it's your characteristics. And this is where, really, in all of these things, it's so complicated to navigate because these are good things, right? It's good to to travel. It's good to see the world. It's good to take in all of God's wonder and glory and thank him and praise him for that and experience that. It's good to be the holistic mom that wants her, their kids to be healthy and they're never going to eat a hot dog in their entire life. And I would say that's not a good way to grow up, okay? Hot dogs, anything air fried, it might kill you, but it's a good life until you die, okay? Um, just pray over it before you eat it, okay? It's okay to be retired as long as you are using that retirement in love and for the kingdom. And then we have characteristics like, I want to be known for being honorable. I want to be known for being loyal. I want to be known for being trustworthy. I want to be known for being uh, a strong leader. But every single one of these things are pointless if they don't fall under the umbrella, if they're not rooted in and stand on the foundation of love. And why is that? Because every single one of these good things in the flesh can be hijacked. Every single one of these good things in the spirit God can use over and over and over again. Pride. Pride can grab onto the honorable, strong leader. Pride can falsely motivate that person to go all the way to the top. But when they get to the top, they look down, they say, man, there are bodies underneath me because I might have gotten here, but I did not get here out of love. It might have looked honorable on the outside, but really when I look down, man, there are some people that I bulldozed selfishness. Selfishness can grab a hold of the loyal, trustworthy friend and say, hey, I'm here for you. No matter what it is, I'm here for you. But really in the flesh, on the flip side of that coin, what you're saying is, I need you. I can't let you go because my identity is wrapped up in the relationship that I have with you. And I'm afraid that I won't have another relationship like this. And so we trap people in relationships. What is it that you are known for? I would say this, if you want to find out what you're really known for, maybe not right now, maybe when you're driving home today, maybe when your kids aren't around, ask your spouse, how do you see me? How do you really see me? What would you identify as the most important thing in my life that I'm running after and I'm not stopping until I get there? If you really, really, really want to know the truth, ask your kids. And if they're young enough and don't quite have the vocabulary, prepare to be offended. <laughs> but just know that you will be okay in love. Who would your friends say that you are? Would your friends say that you are known for your love? How about your neighbors, the people you live around? Now they catch on to your uh, rhythms of life. They pick up on you. Now how about your enemies? Would your enemies know you for your love? If not, how will they ever know who you belong to? If not, how will they ever be known and belong to the one to whom you belong? If there's no love in our lives, can we say that we actually really belong 
the greatest gift of love that was ever given to us. If it was love that sacrificed itself on the cross to save you, to put you back together, to redeem you, to restore you, repurpose you, and send you out in love, and there is no love in your life, did you actually accept that gift? Did you actually open that gift? Or has that gift just remained under the tree, untouched, and you've remained a fan of that gift? Love has to be what we're known for, has to be what people identify us for, because everything else is pointless without love. Love is not just the greatest gift that we could give or receive. Love is not just our primary identifier, but love should also be our sole motivator. As followers of Jesus, love is our baseline. Love is who we are as Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, verses 1 through 7. Don't worry, we're not at a wedding right now. Nobody's getting married today, but I'm going to read it anyways. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what is love? Here we have the answer. It's everything we've said before, but this is the essence of it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Hear this before we wrap up. Love is not just some of these things, some of the time. Love, true love, that I should have and dwelling inside of me through the Holy Spirit that that should be going out to everyone that I am surrounded by. You are in the same boat as me if you have put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. Love is all of these things, all of the time. Does that mean we get it perfect all the time? Whew, no. Does that mean we have to, out of love, say, sorry, I messed up, this is not who I am, you can and should expect more of me in the future? Yes, Absolutely. But this is the benchmark. And if you're shooting for anything less than this, you are shooting for something that is not Jesus-centered. You're shooting for something that you can obtain in your own strength. And remember, this, isn't, this life isn't out of our own strength. But as believers, we've said, I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I can't do the mission, the role, the job, the responsibility that you put in front of me, Jesus. And so I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. And out of the power of the Holy Spirit, we embody all of these things. Know this, that love, it's not just a cheap emotion as the world has sold it today. Love is a choice. Know that love is not fallen into, and it is certainly not grown out of. Know that love only grows as it overcomes adversity 
after adversity after adversity. And sometimes that does take reconciliation. But know this, love endures all things and love does not possess any quit. So keep on loving. No matter how hard the situation is, keep on loving. No matter how hard that person is to love, keep on loving. Why? Because you have been loved when you least deserved it. Let's be the church. Let's let's display the kingdom this week. Let's apply this as we leave this room, as we walk out these doors, and let's be loving in every single direction. Remember, it starts here. It starts vertical. We go to God. We make way for God to come to us. All right, we set aside time to focus on him, to speak with him, to study about him, to worship him. But from there, it doesn't just stay right there. This is not a siloed love. This is a love that goes out to the ends of the earth. It starts right here in your quiet time with God. It goes to your house. It goes to your schools. It goes to your job. It goes to your neighborhood, to your community. And then it goes to the ends of the earth starts vertical, it goes horizontal, north, east, south, west, no matter any spectrum that that person falls under, best friend or worst foe. So give the gift of love as you have received the gift of love. Why? Because you are a follower of Jesus. So for the sake of the gospel, let's love. Let's pray.